Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doc. You are live with me in upstate New York. And where are you joining me from today? Would you do me a favor and just put in the comments uh, where you're located and uh, what favorite thing about fall are you most looking forward to enjoying? How's that? It's kind of a long question, I know. But do me a favor, just type that in. Let me know you're here because we have a literally worldwide audience. Uh, you might have seen me. I went live earlier this week talking about Target. And if you haven't seen that, you can scroll down and see it. But um, all about loss prevention. We're hearing an awful lot about it. In fact, my last newsletter, I talked about loss prevention a lot. But uh, at this point, uh, we're live with you. So any questions you have during this broadcast, I will certainly answer. And even afterwards, feel free to type in and I monitor those pretty relig religiously as well. Michael, I'm glad you're here from Long Island, New York. And uh, those of you who are bashful, don't be. Just put in where you're joining me from and what's your favorite thing about fall that you're looking forward to. Because uh, as a trainer and a speaker, my whole mission is to get you to think. And when we think, when the brain has to connect something, oh, I heard something, I have to do something, the brain is engaged. If it isn't, you're sitting there scrolling another puppy video or uh, some, you know, TikTok or YouTube short, and uh, the brain is just going to sleep. And that's one of the greatest dangers we have as trainers and owners is employees, associates, and even our customers going to sleep when they're in the store because nothing is happening. And uh, and I think I'll tell you just a little bit, um, you know, there are only 90, oops, I was going to say, what anybody... Anybody know what this number is? Anybody know what this number is? Anybody know what this number is? If so, put it in the chat. Put it in the chat. What is this number? Anyone? Anyone? First winner gets a shout out from the retail doc. Oh, good, Joanne. Glad you like the weather. Nice. I'm going to answer your question today, by the way. So what is that? What is that number? Anybody? What do you think that number is? Anybody? Go, go, go. Come on, come on, come on. I know there's a little bit of a a lag between uh, what I'm broadcasting and when you're actually viewing it, but uh, you've been able to see it by now. What is that number? Anybody, what is that number? What is that number? Any guesses? I'll give you five seconds longer. One, two, three, four, five. Nobody got it. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, well, do you know what that is? That is the number of days left before the end of the year. That's right. So it's a great time for you to look back and say, well, what did I accomplish in the last six months? And what would you have done if you'd put your mind to it that I only have six months, I need to do this? Because I think an awful lot of times we decide, <laughs> yeah, 91, there's 91 days left. That's right. That's right. But a lot of times I think there are days when you don't feel like doing something right, that you feel like, uh, I'll wait till I feel better. Or I'll wait till I'm in the mood. And there's times like when I write blog posts, when I'm in that place, I'm like, awesome, I can do this. There's other times I have to write an article or I have a obligation that I have to fulfill and you may not feel like doing it, but you have to do it anyway. And when you do it, you realize, wow, I, I did a lot, but I think so many people feel trapped these days because they can't just make a damn decision to say, I'm gonna change or I'm going to try this or I'm going to commit to whatever that's gonna be. We're waiting. And I'm just telling you, there's no time to wait. So think about, you know, where would you want to be in six months? There's no one that's going to drive the car but you. 
And when I go into my comments sometimes and I read the questions and I read the answers from people, it's like, are you in the back seat? Or are you in the trunk of your business? Because there is an element of helplessness and you don't understand that just is so hard to hang on to. And then there's other people that are like, left that go. And they're like, yeah, I'm trying this and that failed. And I'm trying this and that failed. Because here's the thing, the brain only learns from failure. That's right. When you get something wrong, you look at, well, what did I do wrong? Oh, I should have done this, right? Or the time that you uh, go to work uh, and you have a terrible day and you realize I probably shouldn't drink, you know, past six o'clock at night or something the night before. But the brain learns from failure. If we're not trying things, the brain is losing that initiative to be creative and to try to find things out. And I'm telling you that if you are stuck and you feel like all these things are out of me, I, I just am out of control. Listen to the words you're using, the words you're using to yourself, because I think there's no greater battle. I've said this before, those of you longtime viewers, of the parts of us who want to stay stuck and the parts of us that want to succeed and change. That battle is really the hardest thing, I think, for an entrepreneur because you get stuck in this idea that, oh, we've tried that. We can't. Have you tried it since pandemic? Well, no. Have you tried it since whatever? No. Or I'll do a speech and people say, I used to do that. And I'm like, well, why'd you stop? I don't know. If you don't know why you're starting and stopping, that's it's a place for you to dig. So I hope you'll consider that today as I get ready to answer your questions. If you like what I have to say, do me a favor and give me a thumbs up because frankly, the algorithms aren't showing them uh, uh, content to as many people as we used to. And if I if I notice that with 400,000 followers on LinkedIn, about 20,000 on each of uh, my other platforms. I'm sure it's the same for you if you have less people. So there you go. Good morning, Alex. I'm answering your question today. Meg, I'm glad you're here from Bear Lake in Michigan. Uh, Okoroki, from, uh, glad you're here today. Jody, glad you're here. And several others I know uh, you were watching as well on replay, so that's fine. Let's get to your questions. Tom asks, after five years, my partners decided to leave our business because I'm a planner and a detailed person. I can't do it all alone. Any advice on who is the leader in a business when the partner who isn't in charge wants to call the shots? Boy, I can tell you, Tom, that I've had people who um, have really succeeded in partnerships. I know a husband and wife that I used to work with, and the husband was all the financials and the negotiations and the leases and all that. And the uh, wife was the person in charge of the merchandise and the people. They kind of always kept those apart. And then the day that the uh, husband decided to get involved in something, it ended up terrible because he crossed the line and it created fiction, et cetera. I just think um, it's really hard uh, to be the leader when somebody doesn't want to call the shots. But you know what? Instead of hoping that it would be different, you just have to give up that hope. I wish that she would do more. Well, what happens if we release that? She's not. I hope she finds something else to do. Great. What's the partnership look like? What's the agreement look like? Those of you looking at starting businesses, this is a time when you realize a partnership agreement needs to be thought of as if we're going to break up. Because if you at least get all those places in the contract, then when moments like this happen, it's like, oh, I know what we're going to do. It's husband and wife. It's harder. Husband, husband, wife and wife. Doesn't matter. Um, that boundary when it crosses is tough. And I just say, the only thing I can say to you, Tom, is you just have to give up the hope that you would have made it better or done something else. They're unhappy. They want to go somewhere else. 
that's probably going to be very freeing for you. And if it means that you're going to have to hire somebody else to do some work, then it means that, and you're probably going to have to raise your prices, but embrace it. Don't fight it and be bitter about it because I can tell you, I've seen it affect more partnerships and marriages than you can imagine. So there you go. Lewis, how do we effectively merchandise products with limited space? What should we do? Well, Lewis, I think, um, you know, I'm reminded of when I, back in the 80s, I know most of you weren't even born then, but uh, when I was selling cowboy clothes in Santa Monica, California, and we were a, a Westernware store, and uh, I, I liked the store. It was a beautiful store, but it was like, it was so curated down to nothing that we couldn't really... Um, showed the breadth of what all we had. So I literally took all the shelves out of the stock room and I put them above the display shelves. Man, was that an impressive store. And you walk by, you're like, holy crap, they must have everything. And that's the comment most people made. All I could do was go up, right? You can't suddenly make people go in the back. I think a lot of times we get in trouble with our merchandising because we think we have to have everything out. And I would encourage you to think about, uh, Lewis, that effectively merchandising means space. And the more expensive your product is, the more space it needs. That's why when you go into Chanel or you go into upscale uh, boutiques, you know, it's one purse and there's nothing around it. They want you just to consider it, but that has a cost, which is why the cost of the product is so expensive because they're not trying to jam everything out you at you. And I would encourage you to consider that uh, the more you merchandise, uh, just be economical and not you have to show everything. And for God's sake, don't put it all in your windows. And those of you who are considering buying SalesRx, there's a whole course in SalesRx, my online training program about how to merchandise. So wouldn't that be nice? You could take that and get all of my tips and secrets right there. Rosemary, how about some advice on an exit strategy? Well, that is great, Rosemary. The time to be thinking about it, of course, is five to 10 years before you're really going to do it. There are all kinds of planners out there that can help you with it. There are uh, networks of business brokers. In fact, there's a nonprofit uh I don't have the letters offhand uh, top of my head, but um, where you can go and you connect a, with a local person and they'll tell you, hey, this isn't worth anything or hey, you might have to do this or we need to change your balance sheet, et cetera. There is a huge change coming as all the boomers retire and their own employee, their customers, excuse me, their uh, family members don't want it and yet the customers are still coming in. So uh, some people are looking to their employees and letting them buy it. Some people are looking at, um, you know, how do we combine it with another store, sell to somebody else who already sells something like it that's 20 or 25 miles away. But the key really is to go out there and have it evaluated and tell you, you have to get this stuff off of your books. You can't be running your groceries through your business accounts, those kind of things. And by the way, all of you as well, um, make sure that you always have a separate credit card for anything you're using for your business. Do not ever mix those because it's just a nightmare and it's hard to pull about when you're going through, especially in a sale or looking at um, whether it's exit strategy or just selling to a, a friend. Uh, question here. How do you build a business with a little or no capital? Well, you have to exceed everybody's expectations and whatever your product is. You've got even amazing service. That's there's no mystery to that. How do you keep your customer in the price your product keeps changing? Well, that that's the truth for everybody. I think the especially when you're starting out, it all comes down to keeping a personal face in front of people, letting them know you're available, and then exceeding it. You know, people have said to me, "Oh, you know, I want to be like you," and I'm like, "Well, good luck. I've been doing this for some thirty some years, uh, but you know, I was lucky." 
that people actually gave a damn when uh, a little coffee company was going up against two Starbucks that were, one was hundred about to open hundred feet from his front door. I was able to do a whole marketing campaign, do a whole local campaign. I don't think anybody would care about that as much now. You might, but you have to hit it out of the park when you decide to go for it. That's my point. You can't sort of do it. You have to put your heart and soul into it. In fact, when I did that makeover, I was there pretty much every day, Monday through Friday, um, generally hiring, but also firing people in the beginning and making sure we got the standards up while changing the merchandising, the product mix, et cetera. And I needed to hit it out of the park. And lucky me, you know, I call the New York Times and I go, would you be interested in a story how the little guy beat the big guy? And they're like, we would. And we got the interview, which got the whole top half of the business section on a Sunday morning in October that built the empire of the retail dock. Without a, out of the park, I think you're just another person with an opinion or another guy with a product that, let's face it, there's an awful lot of options that are out there. And if it's not easily, um, if you can't easily describe it to somebody and get traction, then you have the work to do. Because once you get that done, then you can understand what you need to do. I hope that helps. And I would encourage doing live videos that explain your product very much like what I do. Top fan Vera says, I've recently seen stores nearby carrying lines that I already bought. I don't buy a huge amount, but shouldn't there be exclusivity of the stores within a three-minute walking distance? No, because they're already within a half inch in their pockets. Uh, it is getting very frustrating. Would it call the manufacturer after the fact be worth it? I don't plan to carry their items anymore. Well, I think you've answered your question, Vera. The reality is, especially if you don't buy very much of a product, that it's just not... It's not in the interest of you to go down that road. You are getting more value being able to carry that product than they are in you carrying it. I know when I was uh, working with coffee houses in uh, Long Beach in the 90s, and we decided, I decided for Christmas time, we were going to buy those little s'mores ornaments. They're really big in the like 96, 7 in there. And so we decked out the stores and we sold them. And I think they were like six bucks. They made great add-ons. Well, one woman came marching down. It was outside of her agreement and how dare us. And she went to the landlord and I'm like, really, really? So by like, I don't know, December 15th, um, she gets to be able to say that we violated it. And the landlord tells her we have to take it down. Well, we'd already sold it since then. But this idea that it stole from her, nobody would have seen them because they were only coming in getting coffee. So I think you can rationalize everything about why you should have exclusivity, but the reality is the manufacturer wants to sale. They want to be able to sell their merchandise. And if they know that they've got a great product, they're going to want to show it as many places as possible. So I applaud you for moving on to something else. But again, I think if you want to have those kind of exclusivities, then you have to be in that realm of we're going to buy, you know, a bazillion of this and we're going to be your resource in let's say Kansas so that they will lock things down. Otherwise I just don't think, I think there's better things to spend your time on. If they like what I have to say, do me a favor and give me a thumbs up because without, without your love and support, I would have nothing and be no reason for the algorithms to be showing it. So do me a favor and let me know if you're agreeing with what I say, if you want to challenge anything I say, I'm going to see anybody challenging me up this morning, but Hey, that always can happen. Uh, well, that's good, Michael. I'm, I appreciate that. And that's, that's wonderful. So excellent. Uh, so we did Vera. So Sharon is our discount and sales really a way to get customers into the door. They can be, I'm offering less if any sales. And I found if a customer really wants it, they buy. So my question is, am I, is my giving up sale options that cost my bottom line 
Or is my bottom line not hurt because I do a few sales? It's a great point, Sharon. You know, I have this discussion with a retail the other day. Oh, I get great margin on this product. I go, and how many do you sell? Well, not many. I said, you know, margin without volume means nothing. So if you've got a product and it's not selling and you're not willing to put it on sale, that's just, you know, old milk just getting worse and worse. So it's not a smart use to not have clearance sales and get rid of things. If you've decided that you don't want to do those 20 and 30% off sales, like a lot of retailers seem to be doing these days, I applaud you because when you cut the margins that deep, you have to sell so much more. You're kind of like that hamster in the hamster wheel running and chasing its tail. Like, oh, we have activity. You're not making money. I know but we have activity. You're not making money. I know, but we've got activity. Customers love us. Yet you're not making money. So I do think it's a balance. And I think an awful lot of people here uh, who follow me uh, could give you some ideas about that as well. But um, when it comes right down to it, uh, we do need sales and discounts for loyal customers. All those kind of things can be helpful when you are putting things out there they want. You know, I've I've told this story too. Um, I went into a Home Depot, I think it was in January in upstate New York here, and they had a sale of mosquito uh, repellent. And it was like normally $9.99 and it was on sale for $4.49 and they had a big table at the front. They were all there for, for, for free for uh, purchase. And I just walked in like, who thought this was a great idea? <laughs> I'm sure the guy was like, oh, or gal, the manager. Oh, we need to move this stuff. Let's just put a great fire sale on it. No one's buying mosquito stuff in, in January. We're buying ice uh, remover and snow shovels and those things. So being careful that you're not trying to trick customers into buying things. You know, I've seen people who had 4th uh, of July items still on sale here in September. Like, oh, we're just trying to get rid of it. Remove it. Give it away. It's it's not going to make you money. All right. I hope that helps. Again, give me some thumbs up. Let me know that you're you're out there. Uh, David, how often do you check your competitors? Do you use variable retail markups? Well, uh, I think you can always check your competitors. I, I, that means you walk in the store is what I hope you're talking about, not just going online, but you go in the store and walk the store. I have no problem doing that. I've led awful lot of managers and owners into their competitors' stores to see how it's done. People they thought were so invincible and so wonderful that when they walked in, it was like, oh, well, I can compete against this. Like, I know, you're doing it. So uh, it never hurts to do it, but always approach it from the idea of what can I learn? What are they offering that we aren't? What are they doing that is uh, allowing them to steal my customers? And then you want to address that. You don't go in there looking to say like, oh, we don't do that. We're better, we're better, we're better. There's no point to that. Right. So and as far as variable retail markups, of course, you know, you can do that. What that means, some of you may not know it. It's you can have a different margin for, you know, category or class of products, not a general one for everything. Um, but again, being careful of your margins, that margin without volume means nothing. So balancing that is really important. All right, Joanne, next one. Next year, one of our town's parking decks is being demolished and rebuilt. That will last from January 24 to December 25, two years. That is scary. It's going to be rough during the events and the holidays. Good chance many businesses will suffer. The city drafted a plan, but many of us are scared. Yes, I can try to boost sales through online, but a large part of our income is from tourism. I feel I have to back off buying and emotionally and financially prepare. Uh, I think that's probably smart. I think that um, access is a huge thing. Uh, depending on your downtown, if you get people to, you know, they still want to come downtown. I forget where uh, you're in Bethlehem. Um, you know, I would encourage you to be making videos and maps of what, where they can park when that is gone. I would make 
everyone, I'd want to get everyone in your downtown area that's affected to make live videos and not one, but do several throughout the next two years. I would do one certainly in December. Things are going to change next month. You know, when you want to come here, you'll have to find parking X, Y, and Z. I would try to have fun with it. And then I would also make sure that you talk to your local chamber that the employees have to park away from the store. And that includes the owners. I'll never forget. I was working with, uh, I think it was an Annapolis uh, downtown group. And uh, this woman was complaining about the parking. It was so terrible in downtown and why the city needs to do this. Right, 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 right. Okay. So I um, saw that. And then I went to the meeting the next morning. And, uh, and I saw this car right in front of this person's place. And I said, who owns that car? Oh, it's the owner. She always parks there. It's like, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you can't steal the privilege that your customers need and then say, oh, there's nothing we can do. That's just not fair. All right. Uh, and before I forget, you know, um, the rally with Joanne and everyone else here is you've got to get more out of every customer that, you know, everything that we were going through in 2019, that we're having so many more choices for where we can spend our money and so many more experiences, everything are kind of back. Everybody has bought all the things that they needed for their pantries and all their hobbies that they started during the pandemic. And that's kind of everybody's kind of going back to what they did before. You're going to need to get more out of them. And so if you're looking to take your, you know, salesperson who average sells, I don't know, a thousand dollars a week or a month or a day or a hundred thousand a week, a month or a day, um, and you're trying to get them to be 20% better, well, I encourage you to look at SalesRx, my online retail sales training program. You know, 83% of our uh, respondents uh, replied that they got a double-digit increase in six months. It's not magic. It takes time. It's behavior training. But when you're on the other side of it, you have people saying, wow, that was an amazing experience, and they don't even know why or what changed. It's just that your attitude helped make, make people feel that they mattered and because they felt they mattered, they bought the merchandise. All right, so uh, just two more. And if you have any other questions, let me know. Uh, Meg, I'm uh, three more. I'm questioning a very profitable line in my boutique. I'm unsure about my new account rep. My trusted rep that has resigned has told me to tread slowly because of location change and style changes. Um, I'm going to ask any of you who might know what to say to Meg. I'm not exactly sure what the question is. I think she has a new rep who's telling her one thing and has an older trusted rep who's telling her to go slowly. And what would you do in that case? So we will return to all of you if you have answers in the comments. I would say, Meg, um, if it's a very profitable line in your boutique, uh, you know, I don't know how much it matters. I think it's always a matter of balancing fear with desire. We all want to base it on buying because we believe in the product. But I think you also have to understand, how am I going to move this? What happens in three months if it doesn't move? What am I going to do? And then you can um, put your orders in A, B, and C, and then just start considering the Cs, like maybe I don't have to get those right now. Maybe that's something to help. If any of you have any points, certainly let me know. Alex. I'm having anxiety over a competitor's marketing strategy of discounting and changing hours. I'm assuming they're discounting the product and they're expanding their hours. The anxiety and focus, what matters, my company, what we're trying to do to keep a good job for our customers. Look, the reality is you can't change your customers. You can't change your competitors. All that you have is you. So what would it take to mix it all up, Alex? What if you in totally 
if you started that store, that garden center again, what if you totally changed up everything? Because I find that when you move the merchandise, there is the explosion of energy that kind of propels you forward. I'm doing a business makeover right now of for uh, beer stores in upstate New York, which is quite a learning challenge, mainly because um, there's space and there's dating involved, which you don't really have those constrictions in, um, in traditional retail. But I can tell you, as I move through it and move these things, just the energy in the store has gone up. And then we had some different lights. I just think it's a matter of changing yourself and getting away from looking what the, what the uh, competitor is doing. And then being able to show the difference. Alex, I know I had a little, uh, uh, one of my favorite um, park nursery in Long Beach, California. They were amazing. And they would show like a pony pack of six uh, petunias. And they would have the the you know, the plastic thing that it holds on, they put that on the sign, they had theirs and they had one of the big boxes and they said, ours is, you know, two ninety nine, and theirs are a dollar 49. And it would say, but with less soil means the plants are younger and more tra- uh, likely to be affected by transplant shock. And uh, they probably will die sooner. And if you're a lazy gardener, you definitely want to get the bigger ones. I thought that was brilliant. So things like that, that you could incorporate might be helpful. Send me a video what you do with it so that I know that I can uh, go through and give you a thumbs up. But just know you're in the right place, Alex. You're trying to figure it out. And you've got a new source of stimulus that can be frightening, but just take it and say, and now how am I going to do this? And then it's just a better way to go. Uh, All right, let's go back. I have some questions here. I have some answers here about the reps. my new rep wants to sell this line in nearby boutiques. Currently, I'm one of two retailers of this line in the state of Michigan. Okay, interesting. I don't know what to add to that, Meg, but thank you for that. Um, if jewelry store changes, keep in mind your customers. Just the style of embrace or ask for. Oh, that's interesting. Will they embrace it or ask it for? Okay, mix it up. See, there you go. I like that. All right, good. And Dave uh, adds, how does your store fit in the, with the environment? look at all of this. Excellent. All right. Well, you've been great. We've been here for 26 minutes. You're still with me. Give me a thumbs up if you're still here. Uh, Shannon asks our final question of the day. If you have an employee who tends to slack off, not anything crazy, how do you motivate them to work harder and work better as a team? I think that's the question of everybody, Shannon. And uh, I just say a learning mind is an engaged mind. So every day you have to be thinking of what can you teach them? What's one more thing? What's one more question? What's, you know, you could have them uh, go on the web and find um, a similar product and come up with three uses that no one else has done or put one of your products through ChatGPT and what are um, six innovative ways to use this. But your goal is to get them to stay there in the moment and learning about your world not being bored and they slack off and they go to their world because when they go to this world, you're not going to win. <laughs> you don't have vibrations and lights and beeps and all of that stuff, but you do have a paycheck. But you know, the reality is 33% of a lot of young people still live at home. So what they needed out of life. And when I started in life and worked at a dollar, I think I, my first job was a dollar, dollar 50 an hour. It's very different. And so instead of saying, oh, I'm, it should be like this, just say, all right, so this mind needs to be 
uh, focused. And to focus them, I would certainly encourage you to be using sales training because a lot of people go through and they think everyone can do it. I can tell you that the vast majority, only 10% of the world are great salespeople. And that means that I can feel that I matter. They can show me products uh, confidently and have fun with it and make the whole experience enjoyable, whatever they're selling, whether it's underwear or kitchen cabinets or furniture. If you're not getting that, if you have employees who would much rather uh, you know, work in the dirt, Alex, or they'd rather sort something, Heidi, or they'd rather be on their phone or they'd rather be doing something else, then we have to look at, well, what does that translate on for the customer? And customers, are, you know, at some point, they're just going to say, I'm not coming back. And the, and the thing is, they don't come to you and they go, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not coming back. They just don't come back. And then you blame, oh, they're all on Amazon or they're all this or they're all that. And you start describing all these motives, right? Kind of like a, a wounded lover. It's not that I, you know, I'm overweight and I'm drinking every night and I'm never home. It's not that. It's she's wants this or he wants that. Just be careful. We're not putting things in our own way that make it. Um, impossible for us to see the reality. You are responsible for your business. You're responsible for your four walls. If you want an exceptional experience, I hope you'll follow me. I hope you'll share this video. I hope you'll check out SalesRx, but I hope you'll change and stop being comfortable being stuck. Only 91 days left, my friends. Let's make the most of it. I'm Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doc. Thanks so much for joining me today.